can't wait to tell you, all week I've been waiting to tell you about my jalapeno plant. Look at that thing, man. I loved this jalapeno plant, and I don't even know why I loved it very much. We just went to the store a number of years ago, and uh, we, you know, we're getting flowers, and we like all different sorts of random flowers that look cool and interesting, and so we just picked a whole bunch of them, and I came across this jalapeno plant, and I was wondering, man, this would be cool. I mean, jalapenos are interesting. I wonder if I could actually grow jalapenos on the deck of my little townhouse in a little pot, and uh, sure enough, it worked so good, and it gave like so many jalapenos, and I was, I'm excited about this jalapeno plant. This was May 21st, 2016, I took this picture, and it's in the, it's in the green pot. I think it's on the right side in that green pot. Just a little baby jalapeno plant, and it gave all these jalapenos. And then one day, this guy said, hey, you could take some cream cheese and some like shredded cheese, mix it together, stuff it inside the jalapeno, then bread the jalapeno and deep fry it, and now you got some jalapeno poppers. And now, anybody, anybody want some jalapeno poppers this morning? Yeah, all right. It was amazing. And I got, I'm telling you, I don't know, a lot of jalapeno poppers over the course of this year. And uh, I enjoyed a lot of jalapeno poppers. And that little baby jalapeno plant turned into this nice big jalapeno bush. It was awesome. And then... As time went on, right, it got cold outside, and I felt bad about my jalapeno plant, and so I brought it inside my house, and I said, if I could just take care of this jalapeno plant over the winter time, then maybe when it warmed back up, I could bring it back outside, and it will continue to grow and give me lots of jalapenos, and we can enjoy some jalapeno poppers some more. And so guess what? I took it in, and, and next year... I brought it out, and now it wasn't a jalapeno bush. It was a jalapeno tree. This thing was amazing. It was giving me jalapenos left and right. And, and next to it, you'll see there's that's lettuce. And if you let lettuce go really high, it tastes really horrible, so don't ever do that. But to the other side of it in that green pot is my jalapeno tree that I so desperately loved. And it was amazing. It was really, really cool. Um, I love that jalapeno tree. I love that jalapeno tree. But um, my guess is you're not here today to hear about my jalapeno plan, are you? <laughs> you want to hear the last message in our Jonah series. Come on, right? This is part six. We're in chapter four of Jonah. And yes, it's Jonah that we're going to talk about today. And it's Jonah, the story about a man and a fish. I mean, I don't know how that got on there, right? It's a man and a, a plant, <laughs> We think about Jonah as the story of a man and a fish. Really, the story is about a man and a plant. And we learn about that today in Jonah chapter 4, which we said last week is the key to understanding the whole book of Jonah. Like what the author of the book of Jonah wants to tell us is it's like we get it all in Jonah chapter 4. It's a story about a man and a plant. And so Jonah chapter 4 is really important. I encourage you to turn there with me. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start right there. We're going to start last, where we ended, or started last week in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. And you can follow along, 
or the words will be on the screen behind me, and we'd love to send you home with a free Bible, too, if you need one of those. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. Remember, the change of plans was that God was going to destroy the Ninevites, but they turned to him, and they, God didn't destroy him. So that change of plans made Jonah really upset that God would not destroy people. That's what made Jonah very upset. And he became very angry, and so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish, right? So why did Jonah run away? Because he didn't want Nineveh to still be there. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. And he ran away because he knew that God was merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, a God who is eager to turn his back from destroying people. That's why Jonah ran, because he knew God was too good. And so he said, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Then the Lord replied, out of his amazing grace for us, even when we get mad and angry at God, he asks us this question, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And we ended last week saying today we were going to talk about how God was going to challenge us to reach our city. But before we can ever reach our city, we must first allow the gospel to reach us. And so God's got to transform our hearts. And we see Jonah sitting under a booth, looking out at this great city, waiting for God to start the fireworks show and just destroy it. And then what happens next, Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, for those of you who have been around the last several weeks, I'm going to ask you a question out of review. There are some words that jump out from this verse, and I want you to shout them out and identify them. If you're joining us for the first time today, we're so glad that you're here, um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that. But for those of you that have been around, there's some common themes that have been popping up through Jonah, and I uh, just thought maybe would you be able to recognize them? In the English, it's a little hard. Let me, let me say, well, at least get one, I think, all right? So what's a word that stands out to you that we've seen before throughout this book of Jonah? Arranged, good, that's the easy one. <laughs> then there's two more that stand out to me. Discomfort, yes, absolutely. And we'll see, and it's, in the English, it's hard, but in the Hebrew, we've seen that many times. And then the third one that stands out to me, we haven't seen it before, it's grateful. It's the first time Jonah is grateful in this whole book. It just is like, here it is, right? And so the first word is arrange. God arranges things to happen in our life, in your life. And so the first thing that God arranged in the book of Jonah was the fish. You know, it's like God is bringing this fish. So he's like playing in the bathtub. He's like scooping Jonah up, right, with the fish. Like God arranges things to happen in our life. He does that. And then the next word is the word discomfort. And this is how Jonah felt in Jonah chapter 4, 
verse 1. Remember, it describes Jonah as angry with great anger. In the Hebrew, it's literally like evil with great evil. And here, this is the same word. This, this plant eased his evil. It, it comforted his anger. And this is incredible, okay? So when you're mad, when Jonah's so mad at God, he's so angry, what does God do? He gives him a plant that gives him shade. We serve an amazing God. He don't deserve that. He doesn't need that, right? He, he should deserve anything other than that. And God gives him this amazing blessing. And the third word is grateful. Because again, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah is described as angry with great anger. And in here, the Hebrew construction literally is joyful with great joy. It's like the exact opposite, right? Jonah is so angry about God and how he treats people and all this. But here, for the first time in this whole book, he's joyful with great joy for the plant. For the plant. And one Bible study commentary says this, the reach of God's mercy to the undeserving is a theme that continued to elude Jonah even as he experienced it. Like he is thankful out of everything in his whole life for a plant. And yet God blesses him with that. And we've said it this way before in this series, that God's grace is so good that it shows up the most powerful in our lowest, least deserving moments. And so when the thing that you're most thankful for in your life is the plant, God still blesses you, and still his grace is enough for you. That's how good of a God we have. And so what did God do next? He arranged for this plant to come. It gave Jonah some shade as he's sitting out there waiting for God to destroy the city. And then he arranged, there's that word again, for a worm to show up. Now, the word here used for worm is a really interesting word. And we see it throughout the scriptures in some pretty remarkable places. And let me just tell you, my whole point in my next minute or two is to tell you that people can read too much into a Hebrew word. Okay, you can know just enough to be dangerous. And so my point is, is that this word shows up in some interesting places, but in the end, it's a worm, okay? But you can trace, like when you look at your scriptures, you can t trace what's called, like they call it, like the scarlet thread throughout the scriptures. Now, the word for worm used here is literally scarlet or red, and so that's where they got like the red dye that they put in clothing or, or fabrics. They got it from this kind of worm, and it's the worm word that's used here. And so this scarlet thread throughout the scriptures of this, this scarlet, this blood, this red, uh, that ultimately points to Jesus as shedding his blood for us on the cross in our place as our substitutionary sacrifice. Like, that's ultimately what it points to. And you see this substitutionary sacrifice playing out all throughout the scriptures. You see when Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden, God 
gives them clothes from an animal, which come from an animal being killed, right? Then, excuse me, <coughs> then the ram is found in the thicket, and when Abraham is trying to sacrifice his son Isaac, and the ram takes the place at the altar of Moriah. Then there's the Passover lamb, and the lamb that was killed in the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, and the death angel passed over there. You have the whole sacrificial system. You have the scarlet rope that Rahab hung out her window so that when the Israelites came in to take over Jericho, they didn't destroy her house because the scarlet thread was hanging out of her window. Then you have the thousands of years of sacrifices performed in the temple and the tabernacle. There was a scarlet threads colored woven into the curtains of the temple and the tabernacle and on the priestly garments. And this is fascinating. In Psalm 22, verse 6, Jesus uses this word, worm. Well, he quotes this psalm on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so he says this, he says, I am a worm, like that's, that's the same word, and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all. And so I hope you can see there's some interesting connections. This word worm, this red scarlet letter worm, right, it shows up in some interesting places. But if there's one thing that they taught me in seminary, it was don't go crazy over looking at individual words in the ancient languages, like, you can know just enough to get yourself in trouble. And really, it just means worm. <laughs> like, don't, like, go head over heels trying to figure something out just because you think it's cool, right? Like, the writer of the book of Jonah said that God arranged a worm. And so, there was a worm, all right? Does that make sense? It's interesting, right? So, God arranged for this worm, and what did the worm do? The worm, the next morning, at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And everybody said, aww, that plant, poor plant. And then it gets worse, okay? So then, then we read that the sun grew hot. And God, everybody shout out that next yellow word arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, and the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And so first, God arranged for a fish. Then he arranged for a plant. Then he arranged for a worm to eat the plant, and now he's arranged for a scorching east wind. And every time an east wind shows up in the Bible, it's always a negative thing. In the, uh, in the plagues, in the exodus, it's the east wind that brings in the locusts. It's the destruction of ships and crew. It's destruction of crops, of drought, of a scattering of people, a scorching of the earth, a turning the sea to dry land, being carried away, of people being expelled. It's always that east wind that is this imagery of this negative stuff. And one commentary person called it a Sirocco, which this is what he said. During the period of a Sirocco, the temperature rises steeply, sometimes even climbing during the night, and it remains high, about 16 to 22 degrees Fahrenheit above the average. And at times, every scrap of moisture seems to have been extracted from the air so that 
One has the curious feeling that one's skin has been drawn much tighter than usual. Sirocco days are peculiarly trying to the temper and tend to make even the mildest people irritable and fretful and to snap at one another for apparently no reason at all. And so maybe that's what happens to Jonah, and he's experiencing all of this, and again, he is ready to die. Just, just take my life, he says. And God speaks to him, as God does, right, in those low moments, in this most amazing, gracious way. Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And I can just imagine Jonah is feeling, God, you are so good. I'm over here watching this evil city of Nineveh go on with life. They're blessed. You were supposed to destroy them, but you are so gracious. You are so good to them that you've protected them. You're blessing them. That's amazing. But God, I'm your prophet. I'm called by you. I, I have a right relationship with you. I have a personal relationship with you, and you were so good to me. You gave me this amazing shade, this amazing plant, and it gave me comfort, and now the plant is gone. I don't like you, God, at all. You're so good. You're supposed to be good. You're, you're merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and yet you're making me uncomfortable, God. God, I don't like this very much. Just imagine Jonah running through all of these thoughts. You can't even keep a plant alive, God, to take care of your prophet, your chosen God. You can't keep it alive for more than a day? Come on, God. Jonah is so mad that God allowed this plant to die. It was giving him great comfort, and now... He was in great pain, and he's mad about the plant. And so the last verse in the book of Jonah is where we get this beautiful golden nugget of wisdom from God about how God is revealing his heart of love for all people, especially the people of Nineveh. And so verse 10 is this, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry, which you could understand this phrase as compassion. You feel compassion about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. And now the New Living Translation translates the literal phrase, they don't know between their right hand and their left hand as living in spiritual darkness. Some people might say, well, if they don't know their left and the right, maybe there's 120,000 kids, you know, that aren't smart enough to know left and right, but that's missing the idiom or this figure of speech that was just commonly used of the day of not knowing right and wrong, not knowing clean and dirty. In the, in the Middle Eastern cultures and many places today, you eat together communally, and so you're all sitting around the table, the food's in the middle, and you all, you know, Use your hands to eat. And you don't want to, like, eat with your hands with the same hands that you also do other things with, right? And so, like, you got to have a clean hand and a dirty hand. And, and they do. The right hand is the clean hand, and the, the left hand is you do other things with that. And so if you don't know the difference between your, your right hand and your left hand, you don't know the difference between what's clean and dirty. You don't know what's 
difference between right and wrong. You don't know what's the difference between uh, honoring God and not honoring God. You just don't know. You're in spiritual darkness. And so God says, I have compassion. Or Nineveh has 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. And shouldn't I feel sorry or compassion for such a great city? So what God is what God is saying is this, Jonah, you feel compassion about a plant, and I feel compassion about a great city. And that <clears throat> is the sad, very bad, no good ending to the book of Jonah. That's it. And so we're going to review, and we're going to make this extremely practical for us today. So first, review. God does a couple things in the book of Jonah. He arranges things to happen. First, he arranges a fish, he arranges a plant, he arranges a worm to eat the plant, and then a wind is arranged to scorch Jonah's head. God arranges things to happen in your life. He is at work in your life. He is, he is manipulating things. He's causing stuff to happen. He is at work in your life. God arranges stuff to happen. We also see in Jonah, kind of randomly, that the animals obey God better than Jonah does. Right, the fish listens to God. He says, swallow up this guy, and fish goes and swallows up the guy. The worm says, go and eat the plant, and the worm goes, how do you train a worm to do anything, right? Like, that's impressive. A worm listens to God. A worm obeys. Then the animals, remember the animals in Nineveh repent? They turn to, uh, they, they show their repentance, which is fascinating. And then God even calls them out at the very end here of all those people and all the animals. And I think what God is saying to Jonah and saying to us is like, Jonah, you are so much more valuable than the animals. And, and you're so much more intelligent. You, you were created in my image, Jonah. These animals listen to me better than you do. These animals obey me better than you do. Come on, Jonah. Come on, you can do this. Like, you have it within you to be able to do this, Jonah. You can do it. And he's, he's valued. Humans are valued. Jonah's valued to God more than the animals. And yet the animals even, right, are doing all of these things, obeying God, following God, turning to God. Like, the humans can do it. The humans can do it, too. Another theme that we find is that Jonah would rather die. We read this, like, multiple times than obey God and have the right attitude about it. At first, Jonah wanted to die because he didn't like God's will for other people. And now, in Jonah chapter 4, he wants to die because he doesn't like God's will for his own life. That's a, a hard place to be. And the last kind of big theme I pulled out here was that Jonah loves the plant more than he loves the people. Like, remember, he is joyful with great joy about a plant. And he is evil, angry with great evil anger when the people aren't punished. And so here's the question I think God is asking us through this book of Jonah. I think he's asking us this. Do we 
have more compassion for the things that bring us temporary comfort than we do for the people who will live for eternity. And this is what God says. God says, I have much more compassion about people who will live for eternity than I do for temporary comfort. What do you say? It's like, Jonah, that gourd, that plant, that thing is nothing. Like, Jonah, you're mad about a shadow. It's a shadow. Like, a human being has a soul that will live forever, and if nothing changes in their life, they're going to spend eternity separated from God forever in a literal place called hell. Like, it's just a plant. It's It's a shadow that you're mad about. And... Pastor commentator uh, J. Vernon McGee says this. He says, God didn't ask you to love the lost before you go to them. He said, I love the lost, and I want you to go to them. And that's what he's saying to Jonah. Jonah, I love the Ninevites. And God is saying to us today, Connect Us Church, I love that great city and region of Lancaster. And I didn't ask you to love them before you go to them. I love them, and I want you to go to them. And so when you think about our great city, when you think about our great region, you can think of it a couple different ways. Like, So here's God, and here's our people, all right? And so there's a dividing line that you've got to, think about between people or between things here. And let me suggest that the best dividing line between God and people is exactly that, a horizontal dividing line where God is good. He's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, and then there's all the other people together that are not perfect and are not holy, that we need the Lord Right, so, so there's God, and then there's like all of us humans. But what happens is when God goes out of the picture, or we get a wrong view of God and his love for all people, God disappears. And now, to have a horizontal dividing line is, doesn't make any sense, because what are you dividing? So what happens is that horizontal dividing line turns to a vertical dividing line between people, between groups of people, between whatever, you know, you're comparing and you're, I'm better than you and I'm more important than you and I, right? And so instead of simply echoing God's heart for our fellow humans, like we're all in this together, we instead have compassion or love for plants, for for the things that make us comfortable, for our, you know, unique little group of people or whatever. Did I tell you about my jalapeno plant? I love my jalapeno plant. It gave me so many, we're not talking about our jalapeno plant. All right, so, right, we love our plants, though. We love the things that give us temporary comfort. And we are joyful with great joy when it happens, right? We are joyful with great joy when that thing that we really like gives us a temporary comfort. Our day is good. And then... God comes back into the picture. And so when you get that job 
that you've been hoping for, you've been praying for, and it feels good. You've got that thing finally, right? That's like your plant, you know? That's like, yes, God, thank you so much. And you've got a, a vertical line. You're looking out at everybody, and you're like, man, I don't know if they got a job, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just ha- thankful that I got one. Right? God comes into the picture again, and it changes the way that you view everything. So he's like, God's like, great, you got a job. Perfect. That's amazing. But what about the person who can't keep a job for more than a, a couple weeks because they're so lost spiritually that they don't even know how to show up on time? Like, do you see the difference between a horizontal dividing line and a vertical dividing line? Right, a vertical dividing line is like all about, wow, good, I'm good, I'm in. Uh, this temporary comfort, that's good for me. And everybody else can kind of fend for themselves. But a horizontal line is like, man, we're all in this together. Like, what about all those other people? What about, what about all of that? And so, like, we can experience great joy when our garage door opens, <laughs> And we pull our new car inside the house that was built specifically for a car. That's amazing. And then we can sit on a toilet and flush it, which again is amazing. That we can turn on the faucet and have running water. And flip on the light switch and have electricity. Like that's amazing. And with, but without God, it's like, I'm good. That's, that's, that's temporary comfort for me. It's like my plan. I feel good about that. I'm blessed. God's with me. I feel good. And then God comes back into the picture. And that vertical line where you're thinking all about yourself and your people changes. And God says, great. That's great you have that. That's great you're blessed with that. But like, what about all those other people that don't have a place to live? What about those people, those families that are jumping from couch to couch where their shelter doesn't have any running water, no electricity. What about, what about them? God loves those people. God loves those people that are dealing with life's hardest circumstances. We're all in this together. And so since Jonah is a man called by God, who, who's close to God, who knows all about God. Let's do some church examples, all right? Some church examples. So we can be joyful with great joy when the worship team plays our favorite song and we know all the lyrics to said song, right? That's the, the vertical line. I know all of that. I love this. This is great. This is for me. And then God shows back up into the picture, and now what's a vertical line now got to transform to a horizontal line, and God says, well, that's great. That's great you knew the lyrics. That's great you love the songs, but what about the person that doesn't know a single worship song? And they're here at church for the first time, and the songs that were played, God had decided, were for them and not for you. Are you okay with that? It's getting challenging. Or, or, or we could be joyful with great joy when we walk into a church and we find a few other people in the same stage of life as we are. We can quickly build friendships 
We find somebody who looks like us and lives like us. And again, that's like that vertical line. And God says, great, that's awesome. But what about the people that don't look like you, that don't live like you? Do you have compassion for them to point them to Jesus, to connect with them because God loves them? Or do you feel sorry that our church doesn't have more people like you and that makes you feel uncomfortable? You could be, we could be joyful with great joy when we find a church that has the perfect ministry for the things that we care about, our kids, people with special needs, recovery groups, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's a million things. And you're like, wow, you know, this church is perfect for me. It's got all the good stuff. And the preacher, man, that preacher, he preaches just like my favorite preacher online. He is so good, just, just the way I like him to be. And then the story of Jonah comes at us and it says, then the worm comes and eats up that particular ministry that you like. It's not there anymore. And the preacher who you like so much, who preached exactly like that preacher you like to listen to online, he stops preaching like that. And then you have a bad experience with somebody. And then the trials and the difficulty comes. The east wind comes and scorches your head. And you find 10 other things that you don't agree about with the church. And you say, death is certainly better than living like this, you exclaim. Now, death might be a little extreme, but like <laughs> finding somewhere else or being severely discouraged and disconnected, your engagement is probably, you know, along the lines. And so then God says to you, is it right for you to be angry because the plant or like the ministry or the hopes of what the church should be like died? And you say, yes, of course, because it's so important to be part of a great church community that I'm even angry enough to die. Again, that's probably extreme. Finding somewhere better or stop engaging so much, maybe another way to think about it. And so then the Lord said, you feel sorry or compassion about the plant. You know, your expectations for that perfect church that got taken away from you. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Lancaster has more than 500,000 people living in spiritual darkness. And if you've seen the news, even just this last year, this last several five months, I mean, there seems to be like a shooting every couple weeks. Somebody shot themselves the other night around the corner of downtown. You know, it's like, it's here. There's homelessness all over the place. You know that. There's theft, there's drugs. So God says, what about all them? Not to mention all the animals, and there's certainly lots of animals in Lancaster, right? Shouldn't I feel sorry or compassion for such a great city? And so the question is, do we have more compassion for the things that bring us temporary comfort than we do for people who will live for eternity? Hard questions. <clears throat> Keeping with the church spiritual questions, do I love the things that bring me joy in church more than being on mission with the church to reach the people around me that don't have a relationship with Jesus yet? 
It's like, oh, I'll stand and worship. I'll bring my Bible. I'll follow along. I'll engage in a small group. It'll be a great time. But to actually love my neighbor, my coworker, my family member who believes so differently, and may I say, obviously wrongly than me, right? That's another story. Or to love my coworker, my family member, my neighbor who votes very differently than me, and again, obviously very wrongly than me. Um, how about loving our neighbor, our family member, our coworker who lives out their relationships so differently? And again, wrongly than we do. Or this person that doesn't really like you very much. And obviously that's wrong. God challenges us through Jonah to believe that the church doesn't exist for itself. It exists to be on mission, to reach the people whom God loves. Those who are not here yet. Those who do not have a relationship with Jesus who don't know what it means to follow God, to love others. And our temporary comforts as Christians, it comes and goes, you know. There's a latest fad, a latest YouTube video, a TikTok thing, like, hey, if you do this and pray this way and go here, like, life will be good, you'll be on a spiritual high, and you chase after that. But God, I think, loves to give those things and take them away (laughs) because... He's trying to help all of us realize that what matters the most is that he wants to help you learn that reaching people who are lost, who are going to spend an eternity in hell forever, is what matters the most, more than anything else. Because he's invested so much time into these people. They're created in the image of God. He died for them and God is calling you and he's calling me to go to them because he loves them and he wants us to tell them about this amazing God who is merciful and compassionate who is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love who is eager to turn his anger back from destroying people that's Jonah 4 2 and many other places in the Bible as we looked at last week And that is why we're here. That's why we're here. And so the question is, do we love the people God loves and love what God does or not? Are we more grateful when church is exactly how we want it to be or when God uses us to reach our lost friend? And see, we are going to go, church. We're going. That's why we started a new church in Lancaster two years ago. And we're going to be entering into a new season where we're going to be taking some big ground in this area. And I want you to join me. I beg you to join me. Don't just sit on the side of the hill looking at the city, complaining about the plant. Right? Go to Nineveh with me. Go to Lancaster with me. And I know like God has put ideas and, and dreams in your heart, and I would love to hear about some of them. Like we talk about praying for people, caring for people, and sharing Jesus with people. Like God has given you opportunities to do that. I know he has. And so if we work together, we can help make that happen. And so if you 
you know, have an idea, like, hey, this is something I can do to care for somebody in my life. This is an idea that I have that I can uh, share Jesus with somebody in my life. Like, I'd love to hear about it. Take time before you leave today to write it on your connection card. Say, hey, we should do this. We should go out to the park and do this thing and, and share the love of Jesus with as many people there as we possibly can. Like, that would be amazing. And we're going to do some of that stuff this summer. I've been compiling a list of things to, to do to to get out into our city and reach our city in a new and great way. Because we need more people to be here. We need more people to find Jesus, more people to join the mission. And I believe by God's grace, it will happen. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love people so well. You love our great city so well. And Lord, I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of just how much you love them. Oh God, the, the people that don't know you as Lord and Savior, the people that aren't following you, Lord, you love them so, so much. And you call us as followers of Christ to go to them, to share with them about how amazing you are, God, that you died for them, that you gave your life so that they could be saved, so that they could be forgiven, so that they could be redeemed and have a right relationship with God forever in heaven when they trust and believe in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use us in this way, that we would be willing to go, that we wouldn't have this such a normal uh, human attitude of of self-comfort, of like, God, I'm thankful when you give me this plant over my head that gives me shade for a minute. Lord, that you would forgive us when we think that way. Lord, that you would forgive me when, we, when I think that way. And Lord, I pray that you would help redirect and reignite our hearts to match yours. Lord, we just believe and declare in this moment that you love every single person in our region, in our city, in our school district, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our state, in our country, in our world, God. You died for them. You gave everything you could possibly give. And now you're just calling out, looking out for us, looking out for us and saying, who's going to go? Who's going to go and share that great news? I pray that we would say, here, I'm willing, I'm ready, I'm going to go. And Lord, we'd look forward to how you, in your merciful, compassionate, just amazing God, you are, shows up in incredible ways. So be with us, God, and help us to do this now in Jesus' name.